Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dio. It's weekly roundup number 21, November 6, 2021, and we got plenty of news to cover, so let's get right into it with our first segment. We wanted to lead off with rapper Yee, a.k.a. Uh, Kanye West, if you know, forgot his name changed, but he's called out Big Sean and John Legend for being sellouts and really being used by the Democrats. During a podcast interview, the Drink Champs, uh, which was created by Noor and DJ EFN, um, rapper Yee came out and said this. At one point, he declared that singing rapper Big Sean was the worst thing ever. Uh, excuse me, that signing rapper Big Sean was the worst thing ever. Uh, this is a quote from rapper Yee. He said, I know this man's mom, bro. Uh, I changed this man's family, both John Legend and Big Sean, when I ran for office, got used quick by the Democrats to come out, to come at the boy. They actually changed their life. Uh, And then he also goes on to say some other things here. Um, But, you know, it was interesting, Devin, you know, just wanted to round off and kind of, you know, give a little two cents about it. But, you know, I feel like, you know, it's hard to support. You know, Kanye at that point, and Ye, if you want to call him, you know, politically correct, it was really hard for anybody to support him with a lot of the stuff that he was talking about. Don't forget, you know, the birthday party. I think we talked a little bit about that off the podcast. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to take anything Kanye says seriously. <laughs> and this is more of it. I mean, you see the response by Big Sean, he's just kind of like caught off guard. And that's kind of how most people feel about the things that Kanye says. Um, You know, it was just, and it looks like Big Sean was even just with Kanye. He never made any mention of this. So it's just kind of bizarre. And we have to also keep it in, understand too, Kanye has his own kind of mental issues he's dealing with. And so I'm not saying that this is part of it, but it's just, you got to kind of take things he says with a grain of salt sometimes, because you just don't know where it's coming from. Um, and, and we're and we're not the only ones caught off <laughs> off guard by this, um, but we'll move on from Kanye and go to Capitol Hill, where there is finally. I feel like we've been teasing this for like six months, but we finally have an infrastructure bill that has been passed. They passed it yesterday. To, we're recording this Friday night, so it technically passed tonight. But you're hearing this on Saturday, so as you're listening to it right now, the the House of Representatives has finally passed. The $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, which is part of a massive, uh, massive agenda that President Biden is rolling out. This is just the first part. They still have some more work to do, but they did finally pass the bill. It, it passed the House by a vote of 228 to 206. And you can even hear clapping on the floor as the Democrats crossed the 218 vote threshold. And so just to remind you, we've been talking about it for months, but the spending package would provide new federal spending on bridges and roads, as well as energy systems and trans- transit programs. It also created a program aimed at building and repairing bridges in rural communities and to help expand internet connectivity in tribal and rural communities. It would also provide further funding to protect water systems, particularly in low-income communities. And like I say, after this vote, they're already moving on. The Build Back Better plan is not passed yet, but that's the next thing they're saying here. Pelosi and, and Democratic leaders are saying that they're going to have that bill passed by the middle of this month. And she, Pelosi is saying this is going to be sort of a Thanksgiving gift for the American people. So, Adrian, hey, 
Infrastructure week is here. We got a bill finally. We're halfway there. The Build Back Better plan, they say it's coming, but at least at this point, a infrastructure bill is heading to the president's desk and is going to be signed by President Biden. You can be Democrat or Republican. That is good news. I think we can all agree on that. Well, I don't know, Devin. There's 206 people who do not agree <laughs> on that. So I don't know. We may can't all agree on it, but I would vote for the on the side of the 228 here to say that we do need this. I, I get the opposition that Rep- Republicans have towards this, which is really the fact that it costs $1.2 trillion and, you know, we're going through so much. Why are we spending this? Why do we need this kind of deal? And, you know, fortunately, you know, listeners, we're going to, you know, talk a little bit more about, you know, later on in the season, how, you know, taxation is going to help to fund these bills. And I feel like that's where, you know, the Republicans or the Democrats or the president, I don't know what's going on, Devin, but somebody is not really conveying that to the American people. Because when people hear that this costs so much, I'm like, well, it's going to be funded by people who have billions of dollars, you know, uh, it's going to be funded, you know, mainly by like corporate taxes, wealthy, you know, uh, you know, wealth tax and things of that nature. It's not going to, you know, really cause a further strain on the everyday, you know, low income, you know, middle-class American. No, it's, it's not, but at least, I think what happened is the Democrats saw what happened. We're going to talk about it later in the show. They saw what happened on Tuesday night with the losing the governor governor's race in, in Virginia and nearly losing the governor's race in New Jersey and kind of seeing on the horizon that there was a problem here, that we had, they had to pass something. We said it before during the election. They had to, got to deliver something. Now it's not, like you say, it's not going to fix inflation. It's not going to, you know, put money in the pockets of people. So you may not see the you know, the benefits of this infrastructure package right now. COVID is still going to be a problem. Inflation is still going to be a problem. The supply chain is still going to have issues. But at least the Democrats can say your government is working and we did pass this. So they can try to run on this in 22. And then if they can pass the Build Back Better plan, to me, if the messaging is right, you have at least a, a better case. It's not a great case, but it's a better case next year to say, hey, keep us in power. We'll try. We're going to continue to try to work for you. So I think the, 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 the motivation came from losing those elections on Tuesday. They saw the writing on the wall and said, we got to do something. And that sometimes that's what it takes. <laughs> You're right. I mean, I we, we said it before, and we're going to be talking about it a lot in 2022. If the Democrats want to keep control, they've got to deliver more, uh, and this is part of it. So um, thankfully, this is uh, going to be going to President Biden, who said that he's going to sign it immediately. So we'll uh, begin to see more of this. But to move to another story, this is out of Alabama, where a judge is getting the boot after saying George Floyd uh, got what he deserved, really, really strange person who says something like this. But a judge who oversees elections in an Alabama county was removed from office after being accused of racist, sexually inappropriate behavior that included demeaning comments about women. And like I said, uh, George Floyd got what he deserved when he was an officer in Minnesota, uh, when an officer in Minnesota murdered him, like we said, uh, Derek Chauvin. Uh, this is uh, Judge Randy Jinks. He's 65. 
Talladega County probate judge. Uh, again, ousted in a unanimous order filed Friday by the nine-member Alabama Court of Judiciary. Following a trial, the panel found that he violated five judicial ethics rules, including failing to uphold the integrity and independence of the court system. Obviously, you can't be independent if you're going to say that George Floyd got what he deserved. This is, like I said, you know, I don't care, Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, Green Party. I mean, if you're saying things like this, you know, you're you you're messed up in the head and you definitely shouldn't be in some sort of leadership capacity, especially in some sort of capacity where you get to, um, you know, at, you know, give some sort of order over, you know, ruling over somebody. I mean, definitely. I'm glad to see that at least there's some, you know, <laughs> we can count on the system due to some things right, especially in a state like Alabama. I'm sure there are people within the justice system who believe exactly what he said. But when you say things like that publicly, you know, there are repercussions for it. And um, I'm glad he got what he deserved, <laughs> rightly, rightly so. But we'll move kind of from that to Philadelphia. Uh, where they're actually kind of leading the way here and and trying to you know fix some of the wrongs that that are happening with the police department and the way our community is treated. And so, uh, Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney is expected to sign a bill that actually bans police from pulling over drivers for minor for minor traffic infractions, making Philadelphia the first big city to pass what has been called the Driving While Black legislation. And this is from CNN. So with this legislation, cops will no longer enforce minor minor infractions such as broken brake lights or vehicle registration issues. Uh, those who commit what they are calling secondary violations will receive a warning or citation by mail. And this, and they're calling this bill the Driving Equity Bill, is part of a legislative package that mandates the creation of a public database of traffic stops and going forward. The police department must compile information that identifies officers who conduct traffic stops, the drivers stopped, and the reasons for those stops. And so um, this is interesting, Adrian. This is something I've never thought of this, but I, I like the fact that they're not only changing the rules where you're not pulling them over for minor infractions that can turn into something a whole lot worse, but the, the data gathering is what I love the most. So you can track these things. And see if you have an officer who's pulling people over for this reason, maybe there's something else going on there. Because a lot of times when we try to talk about fixing the police departments, there just isn't good data. We barely track the bad officers. So I love not only the rule, but just the fact that they are working to create this database of traffic stops to better you know, be able to see what is actually going on. Yeah, I mean, that's have the battle. I mean, you, you can't fix a problem if you don't know anything about the problem and what, you know, what root causes and things of that nature. So it's good that Philadelphia is doing this. And not to mention that, you know, um, we shouldn't, rather, let me rephrase it. If we're really going to have a conversation about community policing, public safety, Minor traffic violations shouldn't be, you know, a focus of, the, of of law enforcement. That that you know, just you know, minor things like that. Obviously, if 
someone's like reckless endangerment or DUI, that kind of stuff, that's different. But it's like, you know, somebody forgets to put on their seatbelt or whatever, or somebody, you know, or the headlights are right, headlight, taillight. <laughs> Maybe you don't come to a complete stop, you know, the stop sign or whatever. It's like stuff like that. People don't necessarily need to be pulled over for because, like Devin said, listeners, it can escalate, you know, uh, to something. And obviously, you know, we don't want people to be out there just breaking the law uh, unnecessarily, but. Uh, I'm we're, I mean, I'm glad to see that Philadelphia is moving forward on this, um, you know, driving while black. That is a, a, a thing that um, I know last year during all the protests, I was, you know, a little, I wouldn't say afraid to do, but definitely cautious um, throughout 2020, uh, making sure that anytime I drove, I was, you know, hands on, you know, 10 and 2. Uh, making sure that, you know, I'm, you know, at the utmost, uh, just in case an officer pulls me over. But, you know, um, we're going to go to another story. Uh, this is out of Texas here. And this is an interesting story. Uh, it, it, it goes well with the story we're going to talk about later in the show. But, uh, Governor Greg Abbott has joined conservative Republican lawmakers campaign to investigate books, uh, that cover race, gender, ethnicity, uh, gender identity and sexual orientation. Representative Matt Krause, he's a state representative, chairs the House General Investigating Committee, um, has sent uh, over, looks like about 800 books dealing with those subjects. Um, interesting uh, topic here, Devin, and I'm kind of summarizing a little bit just to kind of move forward because uh, we're getting a little close on our time here. But, um, you know, I don't know why people who aren't the most apt to talk about racism or really trying to have a lot of this legislation around racism. Not to say that you've got to be a minority to talk about racism, but you at least need to be educated around what's going on. And what they're trying to do is really block a lot of stuff around critical race theory, which we're going to talk about later. And they're trying to block a lot of things around um, getting teachers to teach students about tolerance and about diversity and inclusion. I feel like, I feel like that's what a lot of this is about because, you know, a lot of the books are, you know, are books written by women, people of color, LGBTQ writers and cover topics like teen pregnancy and abortion. So, um, you know, we need to be teaching our kids these things. Exactly. I mean, you, you see a very, clear pattern when you look at this list of books that are that are, that are on this list. I mean, they sent a list of 800 books to schools saying, hey, you better look for these and search them. And there's a very clear pattern. I mean, they're all written either by someone of color or a Black person or someone who is of the LGBTQ community. So, I mean, we're getting to a point where we're going to have people searching through books. And if someone feels... I don't know, uncomfortable about the subject matter that's in it, or they feel offended or that it portrays white people in a negative light, then they could make the case that they don't want the book taught in school for that simple reason. And that's, and this goes back to our conversation about critical race theory. It's being used as a a cover, a catch-all for things that they don't want to be taught in schools that makes white people look bad. And it's kind of where we're moving towards that, you know, when you talk about and you learn about the history of this country, it is going to make you uncomfortable if you really teach the real history. And that's what you have to do, whether you like it or not. I mean, it's 
it's not on per it's not as if we're making these things up about white people and what happened with, with the origins of this country and what black people went through. These are real stories. And like people always say, if you don't know your history, you're just bound to repeat it. And if we don't if we don't teach proper American history, then I don't know what we can expect the next generation, you know, to really do and just cracking down on books in schools because you're quote unquote uncomfortable with the way you're portrayed in it. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, it's just, it's the history of the country. Um, but we'll move on from there. So our very last story here is going to be um, about a Black inventor of entrepreneurship. Um, and so it looks like here, Elliot Eddy, he is the inventor and founder of the Entrepreneur Game, which is an award-winning board game. And he will be featured on a History Channel special later this month. And so as a modern day history maker, his game is the world's first and only STEM accredited board game that teaches business and entrepreneurship. In addition to the History History Channel feature, Elliot will be also inducted into the Black Inventors Hall of Fame's Black Inventors Got Game in spring of the the next spring of uh, next year. He also uh, has been featured in Newsweek's magazine's Best in STEM 2021 and was awarded the Virginia Department of Education's Creating Excellence Award. So awesome. Shout out to Eddie for to Elliot Eddie there, uh, inventor and founder of the Entrepreneur Game. I'm not sure where you can pick it up, but if you Google that and definitely buy it if you can. It sounds like an awesome, uh, awesome board game there. So we're going to go ahead and take our first break. When we come back, we'll get back into some more news. I'm going to talk about those Tuesday elections. Democrats are licking their rooms, but we also have some updates for you. So stick around with us and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into our second segment. As Devin said, give you a little bit of quick updates on some prior news we reported on. One quick update, Biden slams a report about him giving those six-figure payouts to separated immigrant families. When asked about it, President Biden responded, that's not going to happen. He also was questioned a little bit about it. And he said, if you guys keep sending that garbage out, yeah. And when he was questioned, he was asked about further migration. So he basically called all that stuff garbage. So glad to hear that. Another story is that the Biden administration is getting sued, uh, rather suing Texas over their new voting uh, restrictions. Biden administration said on Thursday they're going to be suing over the new election laws. Um, and this is going to be under uh, this is the ousted. Rather, they're suing over their new election laws that ousted a summer of drastic protests by Democrats who remain un- unable in Congress to pass legislation they say is needed to counteract the year Republicans adding restrictive voting measures nationwide. Um, states obviously filing lawsuits against the administration. Um, another update is about vaccines. Looking like January 4th, we're going to be seeing a lot of vaccines being mandated in companies where there's more than 100 people. So be expected to see that. Also, we saw in Minneapolis, voters did reject the ballot to um, change their police. And I don't want that new police uh, department, rather their new Department of Public Safety um, that got shot down. And then our last update here is on the Maude Aubrey uh, case. 
Uh, judge seats only one black juror and 11 whites. And this is after prosecutors objected that several black potential jurors were cut because of their race. Um, so, Devin, a lot of interesting news there. Um, wanted to make sure we give our listeners some updates. That's crazy about the Ahmaud Arbery case, though. Only one black and 11 whites. Not to say that, you know, race is an issue, but when you want there to be a jury of your peers and you know he was just gunned down because, you know, he was just jogging in the neighborhood, uh, that, that, that's, that doesn't add up. No, it doesn't. And it highlights the problems, you know, that we still have when you when it comes to fair trials and the criminal justice system. Um, you know, I, I just find it hard to believe that you couldn't find more than one black juror and where they, you know, even a defense or prosecutors were saying there were several potential black jurors that were cut out because of their race. So just not what you really want to see in 2021 in a case that's going to be followed by the national media. So this is not going to go away. We're going to bring you that case as it updates, uh, as it progresses. We'll make sure to update you on that. So we're going to move to our next story here. And this is a very sad story. Uh, a really tragic story all the way around. So uh, NFL player Henry Ruggs is now facing five total criminal charges stemming from his fatal car crash this week, which includes four felonies. And this is from TMZ Sports. Uh, court records show the former Las Vegas Raiders star, has been hit with DUI resulting in death, DUI resulting in substantial bodily harm, and then two reckless driving charges, which are all, and those charges are all felonies. Prosecutors contend that Ruggs was actually driving his Corvette 156 miles per hour, uh, only two seconds before impacting, and that the car he was driving was moving at 127 miles per hour when it struck the back of a Toyota RAV4 killing 23-year-old Tina Tenter and her dog. Um, and Henry Ruggs faces 46 years in prison uh, for what he has done. He is 22 years old, so he's just getting his life started. And that is just a really, really sad story there. Henry Ruggs, NFL player, uh, Las Vegas Raiders player, uh, looking at 46 years in prison. That's tough. Um, I... You know, uh, it's unfortunate for, you know, Tina, who's 23, you know, ended her life, the dog, her family and everything around that. And of course, for him, um, obviously under the influence and acting in a way that he might not have acted had he not been under the influence. So um, lessons learned, listeners, out of that story. And again, uh, thoughts and prayers out to the families of uh, Tina there. Um, but to take you to another story, um, not a really happy ending on this one either, but this is about uh, Ronald Green's autopsy that's starting to discredit police claims that he died uh, from car crash injuries. And like I said, uh, this was from a preliminary report in May of 2019. Uh, Louisiana State Police claimed that Green, who was 49, died due to an auto accident after a high-speed chase. The initial police report, however, did not mention that state troopers used force or an arrest. In May of 2011, uh, excuse me, in May of 2021, video obtained by Associated Press showed Green's door opening and a taser going off. Uh, Green is heard saying, okay, okay. He says, I'm sorry. I'm scared. Officer, I'm scared. I'm your brother. I'm scared. Um, officer approaches Green's car with his weapon. Um, let me see your effing hands, mf'er. 
Uh, after being tased, Green can be heard moaning while still on the ground and being put in handcuffs by an officer while another kicks him several times. One cop can be heard saying, I've got blood all over me. I hope this guy doesn't have effing AIDS. Um, as Green continues to moan, Green is also dragged at one point in the video. Um, you know, this just goes to reinforce, uh, you know, why we have to have body cam footage, why we have to have police accountability, why we need to make sure police are trained to, you know, handle and not, de- you know, uh, escalate situations. Uh, I'm not sure about the entire story around the Ronald Green, you know, what happened here, but, you know, just based off of this and, you know, what, what can be uh, imagined, um, just, just not the way to do good policing at all. Not at all. I mean, it's just a lack of respect for human beings, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's just a, treating him like an animal, essentially, just a lack of respect. And that's what you saw with George Floyd. And, you know, that's not what we need. And it's surprising because, you know, with our next topic, when you're talking about the recent elections, uh, you know, public safety and policing was at the top of the issue, you know, issue list for black voters and, and, and public safety dominated a majority of the big city elections as a top issue this year, offering kind of a dividing line between the left and more moderate Democrats. And um, while well-funded, you know, moderates saw incremental reforms to some cities, police departments, other progressive organizations like Working Families Party and Our Revolution put a lot of money into campaigns for candidates who supported divesting funds from law enforcement, aka defunding the police, to reinvest in communities of color. But despite all of that, uh, despite a nationwide um, crime spike and voter concerns about defunding the police, the majority of progressive candidates and ballot measures kind of fizzled out and did not see the gains that they were expecting. Um, And so it's interesting. You pair that with what we're seeing with critical race theory. We're just talking about what's happening here in Texas. Um, Like we said before, Democrats lost the uh, governor's election in Virginia. Uh, Glenn Youngkin, the Republican, used critical theory, critical race theories as sort of a racial boogeyman. He didn't full throat say he was, you know, talking about it all the time, but it definitely played a role in his messaging. And in Virginia, you saw white women didn't didn't go um, who white women who didn't go to college showed up huge for Youngkin, and like they did for for Trump when he was running, and they voted for Youngkin by twenty points higher than they voted for Trump a year ago. And so it's, it's proved that CRT and these racial racialized issues can be a winning issue for Republicans, which means, unfortunately, we're going to have probably a lot more about critical race theory uh, in 2022 and maybe even 2024. So it's interesting, Adrian. Terrible night if you're if you're part of the Democratic Party is not what you really wanted, but it's not surprising either. Either I think you could see with Biden, President Biden's poll numbers falling. Um, some negative press coming out about the Build Back Better plan. The environment just was not there. The economy's not doing doing great. Inflation is really hurting. So I think people knew this is going to be a tough race, but I think it might be a little bit worse than what they thought, considering you know Terry McAuliffe lost in Virginia, and then the governor in New Jersey, the Democrat Phil Murphy, barely won, which is shocking for a state like. New Jersey, which is deep blue, red. <laughs> I mean, deep blue, deep blue, not deep blue. <laughs> no, you know, just, <laughs> the, um, the, the, the mayoral race in Buffalo 
kind of sums it up. You know, the the Democratic candidate um, who won the primary was a socialist, you know, kind of running a socialist ticket, you know, initially started off saying defund the police and kind of backed down a little bit from it, but still kind of in that sort of tone. But the person who actually won was a write-in candidate. He was a current, you know, mayor, I believe. And, you know, people, and he said, you know, this was basically because people didn't want socialism here in Buffalo. People outside of Buffalo coming into Buffalo telling us how to vote for our leaders is what he said. And that's kind of how I see it with a lot of these movements that would defund the police. I mean, that was something I felt like Black Lives Matter or something like that started, you know, some political organization started that. And that was never that, that should have been something that the Democrats never tried to capitalize on and run with because it's not a winning argument. I don't I don't think. And, and and I could be wrong because I obviously can't speak for everyone who's black, but I don't think black people were wanting to just get rid of police totally. I think that we were just wanting to make sure that we weren't being shot and killed and victimized and abused and mistreated by the cops. I think that that was the point. And that's why you're seeing some of these ballot measures like in Minneapolis that fizzled, you know, they didn't pass it because people were like, we, we'd still need place. We just need them to be better. Um, so I think it's interesting to see that Devin and then to, you know, talk about the CRT. Why? Like, 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 I think I posted this on social media. <laughs> I, I just said, white people, we're not trying to take your culture. You know, we're not trying to do anything. We're not trying to make you to be evil. We're not trying to make you to be like the devil. We're not teaching kids that you're, you know, malicious. We're just trying to show people that the way American history has played out, our institutions, our policies, our culture, even can be racist and it's been created such that way um, for generation after generation. And that's what CRT is talking about. Listeners It's not, you know, if you're a white listener and you listen to us, we're not calling you the boogeyman. We're not calling you evil or corrupt. We're just saying that the way the system is set up is rigged and we can do better. That's a, that's a good message. I think it, I think we're getting to a point, at least within the Democratic Party and the progressive wing and the more moderate wing, we're getting to a point where, you know, you can't call everything and everybody racist because they don't necessarily agree with you on an issue about race. Like there maybe there are some valid concerns about what's being taught in schools. I don't think there's a downside to people being involved with their kids are being taught. You know, like we tell the black community all the time, we want you to get involved with what's in the textbooks and what's in the curriculum. And that's fine. But, you know, we, we can't, the, the Democrats are going to have a problem with the, the way we talk about race in a way that they talk about it. Just, you know, if we don't, if they don't automatically agree with us, they can't be racist. I feel like we use the word racist too much almost. And it's because, and, and it's not working to where people aren't reflecting and like, well, what did I say that made them call me that? It's now we've used it so much because of what happened with Trump. Now, when you call somebody racist, they get defensive and it just reaffirms that you're just a part of the Democrats are just a party of a bunch of woke people who want to call America racist and don't really want to fix anything. And they just want to point out the bad things about it. So 
I think they're going to have to find some different messaging where we try to point out that the country is flawed and still flawed, but it is not just, you know, fire and brimstone, everybody's racist because they don't want to get on board with defunding the police or burning the system down. I think the Democrats have seen that's not a winning argument. Um, you got to come with something else, <laughs> I feel like, or at least some different messaging. You can't just call everybody racist. Absolutely. There's a there's a way to get along with everybody, America. Uh, listeners, if you're out there, there's, there, there's a way to get along with everybody. We just got to um, figure it out and, you know, not give up. There's, there's a way to do it. Um, to take us forward, we also got some numbers about the jobs reports here. This is a good jobs report. Well, I wouldn't say good. I mean, it's better it's, than the ones in the good. past. It's <laughs> we're picking up. Um, America jobs recovery gathered some steam last month as U.S. employees added 531,000 positions in October. The unemployment fell. Uh, looks like it's 4.6 percent, the lowest level since the epidemic recovery started in May of 2020. The number of jobs added in October easily outpaced economists' predictions of 450,000. It marked the first month since July that the official number didn't undercut the census estimate. The U.S. economy gained jobs across the board last month with leisure and hospitality, manufacturing and transportation, and warehousing leading the job gains. The leisure and hospitality sector was hit hardest during the pandemic recession and is still 1.4 million jobs short of its pre-pandemic level. So um, good to see that, Devin. Um, you know, I'm sure there's still a lot of, um, you know, job gaps out there because I think we reported last time there was about like 11 million uh, positions waiting to be filled. So um, we're getting there uh, slowly, surely. Um, yes, we can. <laughs> slowly but surely. There's one man who's very happy to see that, and that's Joe Biden. You know, pairing that with passing the infrastructure bill, you get a good jobs report. Maybe, just maybe, <laughs> we start to turn the corner here and get some good news momentum. But we're going to our next story here. We're going to go to St. Louis, where um, it looks like gunshots rang out Friday. St. Louis Mayor uh, Tashara Jones was discussing gun violence prevention during a news conference, and she did not flinch. Uh, she said, quote, my son and I fell, fall asleep to the lullaby of gunshots in the distance every night. And she was responding to a question of whether she felt safe. And she also said, it's, quote, it's part of my life now, and that shouldn't be. National uh, gun violence rates were 30 percent higher during, a thir th during the 13-month pandemic period when compared with the same period the year before. And this was according to a study released in the uh, released last week in the journal Scientific Reports showed. So interesting, kind of ironic, giving a speech about gun right, you know, gun violence prevention, and there's gun violence that happens. <laughs> I, I know. That was, if if that's not a uh, cause for action, uh, I don't know what is. Uh, but listeners, to make sure we end you on some good news here, this is out of uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, this is um, Shook. Krishanda Benson. Uh, she wanted to show her daughter that her brown skin and bold features were beautiful. So she used the representation gap in the retail industry to create Pretty Dope Society, an extensive collection of products that incorporates the illustrations of black artists from diaper bags, travel bags, blankets, drinkware, and more. This holiday season, buy, 
items that are more than just material objects, but ignite the everlasting culture and creativity that is black art. So hats off to Krishanda for doing that with their daughter, teaching her early on about entrepreneurship and passing something that will be able to stay and help to make some generational wealth for them. So great for that. But listeners, we're going to give you another break. And when we come back, make sure you stick with us for our quick hits. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So let's get into our quick hits here. We got some funny stuff here. Not as funny maybe as last week, but still pretty good. Uh, but our first story here is going to make you feel good because this is a great story here. Um, so Jonathan Johnson spent weeks on a ventilator battling COVID-19. Then he decided to get married in the hospital. So the 28-year-old man surprised his fiance with the help of hospital staff and, and arranged a wedding last month in the intensive care unit of the hospital in Council Bluffs, and he tied the knot with 28-year-old Mariah Copeland from his bed in the hospital. Uh, And this is according to the Omaha World Herald. And so he said, quote, I didn't want any regrets. And he said this on Tuesday. And he said, after coming off the ventilator, you view a lot of things differently in life. Uh, Johnson was diagnosed with COVID-19 in September, and he quarantined in the couple's bedroom away from uh, Mariah Copeland and their two-year-old son. And so family, friends, and an officiant were uh, looped in and persuaded Copeland to do her hair and makeup and head up to the hospital for a visit on October 14th. And when she got to Johnson's room, where he was no longer in isolation or contagious, that's when she was told that she was actually there for a wedding. And so that's a pretty cool story and a really feel-good story. He had COVID. He'd been in the hospital for a long time. And he said, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and marry this girl. She stuck with me through COVID. So what, you know, what else do I need to see that I need to go ahead and tie the knot? So shout out to Jonathan and Mariah and congratulations uh, to, to them on, you know, getting tying the knot. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting story. I mean, I like that. That's, you know, definitely good. And then, you know, if I were somebody who was, you know, in the hospital and just got recovered, I'd be like, hey, anything I thought I wasn't going to get to do, let's let's go ahead and do this thing. Let's move forward. So I'm, I don't blame them there. Um, but to take us over to uh, Colorado here, police in Colorado said a bear broke into an unlocked car and left behind a trash interior and an extra special surprise in the back seat. The Aspen Police Department said the Bear Bandit apparently opened one of the vehicle's unlocked doors and climbed inside to shred the seats and tear apart the doors from the inside. The department said the incident should serve as a reminder to be aware and keep cars, homes, and trash secured from the animals. So, and, and the special surprise, just in case, you know, this is bear poop, you know, but, um, yeah, Devin, you know, Bears are sophisticated, you know, opening car doors and stuff like that. I've actually seen a lot of videos with bears uh, about how they open, you know, vehicles and just get in and just waiting in there, almost like they're just ready to drive away or something. 
I mean, that's the next step, right? <laughs> you just see one driving down the street. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, just interesting story there. So we'll move from, you know, poop in the backseat of a car to maybe pooping in space. And so um, astronauts who will depart the International Space Station as early as this weekend will be stuck using diapers on the way home because of their capsule's broken toilet. Uh, French astronaut Thomas uh, Pesquet told reporters that the past six months have been intense up there. The astronauts have conducted, or the astronauts conducted a series of spacewalks to upgrade the station's power grid, endured uh, inadvertent thruster firings by docked Russian vehicles that sent the station actually into brief spins, and they hosted a private Russian film crew, which was a space station first. And he also said they had to deal with the toilet leak, um, pulling up panels in their SpaceX capsule, and discovering pools of urine. Uh, the problem was first noted during the, the private flight in September when a tube came unplugged and spilled urine beneath the floorboards. Uh, SpaceX fixed the toilet on the capsule awaiting liftoff, but they deemed the one in orbit unusable. So they're going to have to wear diapers as they fly back home to Earth. And so a lot of stuff going on up in space, but man, that's going to be an interesting find when you, you know, open up the floorboards and there's just pee everywhere. <laughs> you know? not, not the surprise you really want to see. <laughs> yeah, especially not in space when I'm, when I'm on a capsule and I can't really you know, escape it. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> only so much you can do to get away from it. But, um, hey, this is another story out of Colorado. I guess something must be in the water up there uh, this past week. But a Colorado man was arrested this week for setting his mom's house on fire after using a blowtorch to clear cobwebs. You know, most people just use brooms or something like that. But this guy used a blowtorch. Uh, John Charles uh, Strinkenbach, who's 39, was arrested on suspicion of first-degree arson, criminal mischief, causing 20000 to 100000 in damages, possession of a controlled substance, and a violation of a protection order. Fire authorities responded to a fire at the house about 4.30 p.m. Fire personnel, upon arriving, could see smoke coming from the roof of the single-story, single-family residence. Uh, investigators said they crawled through uh, under the home and got in and tried to put out the fire for an hour. Um, and rather, um, yeah, rather um, looks like the guy tried to put out a fire for about an hour before he called the authorities. But like I said, he was using the blowtorch to clear cobwebs rather than using something else. Maybe the reason why he was using a blowtorch, uh, authorities later had said that he was in possession of a small bag of methamphetamine. So maybe he was, you know, on something. Uh, the affidavit said the man had a court order barring him from being within a hundred feet of the home and being around his mother who lived at the house. His mom told investigators that she had been allowing him to stay at the home recently because he was homeless. So, uh, dude definitely had some issues going on. Clearly, you know, homeless, you know, that, that causes a lot of things. Uh, meth probably causes you to, you know, do some crazy things as well. Probably cause them to, Try to you know clear cobwebs with the blowtorch. <laughs> I have a sneaky suspicion he may have been doing something else other than trying to clear some cobwebs. But you know, I I, I get it. You know, but I, I guess sorry sucks for his mom. She was trying to be nice to let him stay, 
And then, you know, this happened, so sucks for her. But um, we'll move on to our, our next story here from, from the blowtorch and, and the house being set on fire to uh, if you're a fan of the Netflix show You, it looks like Joe Goldberg, who's a, the famous person in the show, has actually found a new object of his obsession, and it's Cardi B, the rapper. And so he... Uh, the rapper uh, Cardi B shared a photo of a surprise gift that she actually received from the team behind Netflix's show called You on Thursday. And so the package included a Navy baseball cap uh, emblazoned with Penn Badgley's character, Joe Goldberg. He plays Joe Goldberg in the show. Uh, it has a catchphrase called, uh, the catchphrase on the hat said, hello, comma, you, as well as a personalized love letter written in his signature voice. Uh, the note began, quote, hello, you, my stalking and killing may have made may make me a certified freak seven days a week, which is a reference to her song WAP. But he also said, but it he says, but it also brought me to dot, 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 you. The letter concluded saying, quote, can't wait to see you slaying in this hat, but I certainly hope you don't disappear. Au revoir, Joe Goldberg. And Cardi seemed to be stunned by the gift and humorously wrote on Twitter, how Joe find my new home address. <laughs> so excellent marketing between the team of Netflix and Cardi B number one. But it is kind of funny that Joe Goldberg may be obsessed with Cardi B in, in real life. <laughs> so it is kind of funny. Uh, if you're a fan of the show, you, you understand. <laughs> Yeah, I did watch it, and I could, I could picture it is good. I could picture him being obsessed. Um, <laughs> um, though I will say one thing: this is a spoiler alert. You, you have seen the third season, Devin? Is that correct? I just finished it yesterday. I I thought that that they had gotten away with too much killing. I was like, there's no way they could have gotten away with that. <laughs> I, I, I could get like a couple of devs here and there, but not. Yeah. They, were, I'm like, yeah. They, they took a little extra liberties, Netflix. I mean, you know, but I almost guess. like Dexter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, which I haven't watched all of it, but I hear is a fantastic show. So maybe we need to do a Netflix show or whatever. It shows the people or something, but Speaking of shows, this is a you know if you got a dog, you know I thought of, I thought of you, Devin and Dorothy, whenever I uh, saw this one. But uh, Dog TV has been developed, uh, going to be f- uh, developed following some studies in animals' uh, psychological and physiological needs, modes, uh, excuse me, moods and responses to help them feel more stimulated and relaxed when needed. And this is actually really cool because I had a Great Dane, and I wish I could have had something like Dog TV whenever I left the house. But this was created after three years of research. The channel will air scientifically tested programming aiming to alleviate symptoms of conditions such as separation anxiety, loneliness, and stress, bosses say. It will also have shows to help owners better understand and look after their pets. With the number of people getting more and more dogs after the lockdown and quarantine, this is very timely, especially as many owners have returned to work and animals are being left alone. Colors, audio frequencies, and camera alignments have all been adapted to cater to dog senses. According to Dog TV, one in six dogs suffer from avert separation anxiety. Service is going to be available on smart TVs, Android, and Apple devices, and online. So, yeah, Devin, uh, you know, I don't know how long Dorothy has to stay at the house by herself, but, you know, maybe you need a subscription to Dog TV. <laughs> 
I'll wait for it to hit YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> no. But she does, you know, she's at the house while while we're at work. So she is there pretty much, you know, I guess you could say eight hours a day by herself. So she does have some separation anxiety. This would have been very useful when we first got her because it was awful. I will say that. Those first two to three weeks, whoa, man, <laughs> she almost went back. <laughs> Yeah, but it's I, all good. That's how we they are. They are a man's best friend, and they like to be around their owners twenty four hours of the day if they can. They are, but you know, it's like they do all that, and then once you come home, they're all excited to see you. So that I think that's worth it. <laughs> it is. It really it is. I never came home without Alice or Sebastian, the dogs that I've owned, like literally just wanting to jump, you know, jump mm-hmm. me in the face or whatever. Uh, and just, yeah, they just love you. So can't wait to have another one. <laughs> exactly. But listeners, we're going to go ahead and wrap this thing up here. We are, that's it for our quick hits and our news. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to tell you what's coming up on the show, what you need to look out for. So stick with us and we'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So as always, we like to leave you with give you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the show. Um, so our next regularly scheduled episode is going to be coming out this, t- this upcoming Tuesday uh, on November the 9th. And so November 9th, Tuesday, we're going to be talking about the supply chain. We've mentioned it a little bit on the show, but this time we're going to really dig into what's really going on. You may have noticed the store shelves are, you know, a little sparse, you know, more empty than normal. And you probably need to start Christmas shopping early. And we're going to tell you why. And our new episode that's coming out on Tuesday, November 9th, talking about how you, yes, you, the listener, how you broke the supply chain along with the pandemic. And so our guest for this show is going to be MIT professor Yosin Sheffi. Um, he is excellent. We have a great conversation with him uh, talking about a lot of different topics. But the main theme of the show is talking about the supply chain and what's causing it. And whether or not you really need to be worried about, you know, if food and water are going to be stocked in the store. So make sure you tune in on November the 9th. That's Tuesday, November 9th, 2021, talking about the supply chain. And then after that, coming up the following Saturday, November 13th, we'll be right back here with you for weekly roundup number 22. We're getting towards the end of the year. So as you know, we're in the 20s. That means the show this season is coming towards the end. So that'll be weekly roundup number 22. We'll be back with you with more news, more quick hits, more funny news, more odd news. So make sure you tune into that to hear me and Adrian talk about everything that's happening in the world. So tune in for that. The other thing we want to let you know is that we love it when you listen to us, you support us, and you download the podcast. But there actually are some other ways that you can get involved with us. And one of those is that you can actually donate to us. You can help us out here. And agent is going to let you know how you can do that. Thanks, Devin. And I, we always say, listeners, you know, you got to give. You know, we, we're, we're really trying to make the world a better place. 
And we can't do that without you. We're, you know, starting small with the podcast, but we really want to ramp this thing up to do some greater things. And we can't, uh, we can't do that without having some, you know, some donations behind us. This is a capitalist society and, you know, gotta, gotta have money. So go to our website, blackagendapod.com. Click that donate tab. If you're listening to us in the Podbean app, there's a donate button right there for you. When you go there, you'll see that there are a number of levels for you to donate monthly. And there are a number of things you can get from Devin and myself as you start to give to us. Again, go to our website, blackagendapod.com and start giving. The other thing we like to do is highlight our charity of the month. In November, we selected American Diabetes Association for recognition of National Diabetes Awareness Month. The American Diabetes Association is a United States-based nonprofit that seeks to educate the public about diabetes and to help those affected by it through funding through funding research to manage, cure, and prevent diabetes. It is a network of 565,000 volunteers, including 20,000 healthcare professionals and administrative staff members. The vision is a life free of diabetes and all of its burdens. Their mission is to prevent and cure diabetes and to improve the lives of all people affected by diabetes. So really, really good stuff there, especially since that really uh, affects our community. So um, check them out. That's right. Make sure you check them out while you're checking us out and getting ready to donate Two great organizations. And we both could definitely use your help. Uh, we're biased. So, of course, we would love for you to donate to us first. <laughs> but any help that you give to both either us or the American Diabetes Association Association will be greatly appreciated. Uh, before we go, we just want to let you know that you can uh, find us on social media uh, if you're still on there. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Black Agenda Pod is our handle. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube. Just search the Black Agenda Podcast, and you'll find a great catalog of interviews and conversations with all sorts of guests and experts. And you name the topic, we've probably talked about it. So make sure you go check us out. Find us on YouTube. Just search the Black Agenda Podcast. Uh, and again, for me and Adrian, we enjoy bringing you the news and, and our funny quick hits and our odd news sometimes. We enjoy bringing that to you, and we hope that you enjoyed this. Please, of course, give us feedback. Send us a message on Facebook. You can also email us at info at com. Let us know how you like this. We're enjoying this, but we want to make sure that you're enjoying this as well. So uh, we'll be back with you on Tuesday, November 9th, talking about the supply chain with MIT professor Yossi Sheppy. So until then, we'll catch you next time.